0: Uh, good morning. How how are you all doing? Good, awesome. Uh, I was not here last week, and so um, am I. Super loud. Am I yelling? I can't, sorry. I'm just gonna. I'm just really excited to be here, just as excited as you. Uh, but I'll let the pros take care of uh, turning me down. Uh, but again, I, I was gone last week, and, and I will say, uh, anytime I'm gone, I I really miss you guys, and so. That's, thank you. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, but again, um, as weeks been going on, there's always been something going on in this world that I really want us to pray about and to pray for. And I really believe that as a community, we believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I know that that sounds counterintuitive because, like, well, obviously, as a church, we care about Praying, uh, but oftentimes I really feel like, as a church or as people, as followers of Jesus, we believe that there's something about prayer that's actually passive. And, and, and I want to tell you, uh, and really remind myself, is that is that prayer is, is so powerful. And so, even two weeks ago when when there was so much chaos going on in our nation, starting from what was happening in Virginia to all the way across, we spent time praying because we knew that God listens to our prayers and that God does something through them and, and so even just last weekend as as I was watching the news and and uh, seeing what 's going down in Texas, and I have friends and uh, I have friends that have close family and relatives down in the Houston and down the Corpus Christi area. They got hit with a huge hurricane yet again. I remember back several years ago when I was a student, I went to uh, uh, the Houston area to, to help with hurricane relief after Hurricane Ike. Uh, and so that whole area has a special place in my heart. And again, to, to see what's happening down there, I don't know if you guys have watched the news, but uh, there's people where their homes are so flooded that it's like up to their chest, inside their own homes, Uh, And there's businesses destroyed. There's lives that are pretty much destroyed. And so I want to do this again. I want to spend just uh, a minute or so uh, for us to just come together as a community, believing that God is going to bring restoration to that place, Uh, especially in a place where uh, there seems to be no hope. There seems to be uh, just nothing but chaos and messiness that even through that, that there's people around the world, around the country, here in Seattle, West Seattle, that are praying for them. And, and so what I want us to do is I just want to spend, this might be awkward, I don't know. Uh, will we just spend, just even on our own, just a couple minutes uh, just praying for the people down in uh, Corpus Christi, Rockport, uh, Houston area, uh, for safety, uh, for, for relief, for people that are helping, for people that are stranded. Will we just just take a moment, just for a minute, and just pray, Um, and and I'll close that time of prayer uh, by praying for all of us for this morning. Let's just spend a moment to pray together. God, we believe that you're a big God. And even in the midst of the things that are happening in this world, uh, these natural disasters that we can't even explain, God, that uh, even so, that you intervene, and you bring your comfort, your peace, your hope your relief, and so God, even uh, as people so many miles away, uh, may our hearts break as well, and may we continue to pray and to advocate and to do whatever uh, you call us to do in order to bring hope and being agents of your love to others, even people that we don't know. So thank you for that calling in our lives and and how you want us to live and how you want us to love on others. So God, we pray for the leadership, we pray for uh, just uh, resources getting down there, we pray for um, rescue for people that are stranded, we just pray for so much healing and and just practical just help down there. We thank you for what you're about to do, your spirit being there already. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, thanks for doing that with me. So again, last week I was away, Uh, I was on the East Coast uh, at Princeton, New Jersey, taking a summer intensive, uh, and, and I'll tell you what the class was actually really intense. We were in class uh, from like eight in the morning to about six p.m. every single day, uh, and then we would eat, go to we, we would eat, go to sleep, and get, repeat the whole week. Uh, but one thing that I'll remember throughout the whole time, even though I, I've learned a lot, I'm excited to share. Uh, I remember the first day of the class, uh, the instructor sits us down. Uh, and asks us a question pertaining to what we're about to learn. Uh, and so the whole week was about how to integrate faith uh, in work. Essentially, how, how do we as Christians integrate uh, our faith, what we believe, what we understand about Jesus, into our workplace? Uh, and for me, that's pretty easy. Uh, that's kind of my job. Uh, but it, it was about teaching us, because it was all pastors, teaching pastors how to teach that to others because it's such a significant part of people's lives, work, right? I mean, you guys, work at, you guys are at work majority of the day. Uh, if not, then you're, you, know, you might be socializing with family or sleeping, but otherwise, you're, you're at work. So how do we integrate our faith? And, and so the question that the instructor uh, asked us as we sat down was, okay, as Christians, as pastors even, what do you believe that the outside world, people in the commonplace and the marketplace, think of when they think about Christians. The question was: Think of one word that people might use to describe Christians or the church. And people would slowly raise their hand, and and a lot of them would say, "Oh, um, Christians are hypocrites." Next hand would go up: uh, Christians are liars. Christians are judgmental, and the hands kept on going up, and Christians are homophobic, they're Islamophobic, they're sexist, they're racist, they're divisive. Like I mean, we went on for minutes just kind of bashing what Christians might be, and I remember thinking to myself, man, there's got to be more than what was just said. There's got to be more that people just aren't seeing of the beauty of the message of Jesus. Not just the beauty of the message of Jesus, because I don't think anyone agree, would disagree with that, but how Christians behave in the midst of that. That there's got to be more than just what those people have said. And as I thought to myself, A, sadly, they weren't wrong. If we're all being honest with ourselves, including myself, uh, We've all played a part in that as well, in hypocrisy and judgmentalism and whatever it is. We, a lot of us have played a role in that. So we couldn't completely disagree. But on the other side of that, my heart was broken because, well, A, I agree that that is the message that oftentimes the, or the reputation that the church gets, that Christians get out in the world. And, and, and my hope, and as we continue this series of summer shorts where we look at Shorter books in the Bible. We're looking at Jude this morning. Uh, And Jude's message for us this morning, uh, in light of even what I experienced, is our faith is something worth fighting for. Our faith is worth fighting for. And, And though people raised their hands and said Christians are liars, they're judgmental, they're racist, they're sexist, whatever it is, yes, that's true, and... The Christian faith is beautiful. The message of Jesus is beautiful. The reconciliation, the forgiveness, the healing is beautiful. And it's that message, it's that beautiful message that is worth fighting for. See, the bottom line is, yes, the church has oftentimes failed to show the love of Christ. For being honest with ourselves, we have to reflect God's beautiful image and the beauty of what we've been called to be and who we're called to be. But again, the message of Jude is our faith, the gospel, the good news is something worth fighting for. It says, Jude chapter 1, verse 3 it says, Dear friends, this is how he opens. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend, to fight for. I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. See, here Jude, he's urging his, the followers of Jesus. This is about 20, 30 years after Jesus' death. And he's urging the followers of Jesus to saying that, hey, don't sit still. Yes there's different messages that are infiltrating the message of the gospel. Yes when people think of what Christianity is they think about all these things judgmental, hypocrite, liars. All these things and Judas saying, "We need to stand up not just with our words but even with our actions to say, "Well, wait a minute." That is a misrepresentation of what the gospel is. As a matter of fact, what we'll see throughout Jude, we'll look at the entire letter, but Jude is saying the gospel represents what is loving, what is kind, what is beautiful, what is good, what God has originally intended from the very beginning, and yet it's been distorted. So wait a minute, world. What you're seeing, that is not the gospel. And Judas saying, yes, point that out and show, well, then what is the gospel? How do you fight for it? Well, first of all, I want to say this. We have to fight with our eyes wide open. So we'll look at three things. We fight with our eyes wide open. We fight with mercy. And we fight with hope. We'll look at eyes wide open. To understand what Jude is saying, he's saying, as you guys are living in this world where there's mixed messages about what it looks like and means to be a follower of Jesus, we have to open up our eyes to see what's going on, to see how we're living, to see what the messages are. And we have to take a deeper look into the life. Of Jude. Now, when we read the book of Jude, I don't know if many of us have. Uh, if you guys want to read a short book, this is one, one, one short chapter. I encourage you to read it. It's packed with uh, so much stuff. And yet, it's a very mysterious book. The Jude, was written by, Jude was written by a guy named Jude. Uh, what scholars believe to be a brother of Jesus. So, Jesus had four brothers in Jude or Judah uh, would be one of them. And so we, we know to a certain degree who wrote the book. We don't really know uh, who, was, who it was written to. The book is so short and it doesn't have much detail. We don't know uh, who, was writ- who it was written to, but we clearly understand the why. So we don't know the who, but we know the why. Uh, and there's a crisis going on in the church uh, that Jude is writing to. Uh, there were corrupt teachers uh, teaching false doctrine, an infiltration uh, of of messages that were antithetical to Scripture and to the into the ways of Jesus, seeping into the church, into the minds of other followers uh, of Jesus, and, and even the verse that we just read in verse three. Uh, he says, as "He says, while eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write an appeal to you to contend to the faith." So what Jude is saying was, uh, "Hey, church, uh, I was going to write to you originally about how much I wanted to encourage you, how much we have in common in our faith." So he's talking to Christians. This is he's talking to fellow believers. And he's saying, man, I wish this, this new, this letter was coming to you on better circumstances. That was my original intention. But there's something going on in the church right now. Uh, and it's a crisis that I have to, I have to address. That there are false teachers, that there are corrupt influence, uh, and there's bad theology happening inside the walls of the church. And I must address that right now. Uh, and he and he begins uh, by doing a few things. He he first warns them, and says, "You." It says, "Look, false doctrine, false teaching. It's been happening for centuries in the church, and it's happening right now." In the danger, he's in the danger of being uh, influenced by false doctrine for us learning bad theology. Uh, is not just that we or Jews' audience, not as individuals, that they would just have a bad theology or a misrepresentation of God. The danger of us having a misrepresentation of God is that then we would represent God in an inaccurate way to other people. So then, outside people, people not Christians, people outside the church will look at The Christians living out that bad theology and believe that that's what God is all about. And and so we see that in the church even today a lot. When we misinterpret the love of God uh, and and filter it through our own lens and manipulating it to what we believe and what we want, the people from the outside, outside of the church will look at it and say, oh, that's what Christians are like. And so for centuries, people have been using the Bible to defend racism, illegal racism, discrimination, sexism, uh, all bunch of isms, uh, hatred, violence, slavery. And so people from the outside of the church and say, look, they're using the Bible. They're telling me that the Bible is saying, yes, it's okay to do all of this. Well, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, if, if that's what a Christian is, then then I don't want any part of it. And, And so what Jude is saying, we have to be careful what we believe about God because what we believe about God, truly, this is kind of a subtext, what we truly believe about God will determine the way we live. Not what we say about God, not what we read about God, not all the right fluffy answers that we're supposed to say about God. What we truly, truly believe about God is going to determine the way that we live. And so if we believe that God is loving, and if we believe that God loves us, then as a byproduct, we love others, understanding and knowing that love. If we believe that God hates us, there's a sense of hatred that flows through us. If we believe that God is, is absent or far away, then we become absent and far away, and we don't have this passion of the gospel for people. And so Jude is, I must warn you. And he says, again, that for centuries and centuries, your ancestors have been doing this, and you know what's been happening. It's Jude chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. Let me just read this. It says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, and we're going to go over what that means, uh, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up for sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. There's a warning going on here. Don't be like your forefathers, your ancestors. Who, where God has provided, God has loved, God has given, God has blessed, God has rescued, God has forgiven, God has walked alongside, yet even through that love and through that walking alongside, they have taught false doctrine. Oh, in a sense, they've, they've taught and spread to others a misrepresentation of that loving God. And so if we break this down, uh, he gives three of those examples. He says, hey, remember when your ancestors, the Israelites back in the day, in the wilderness after God rescued them out of slavery? <clears throat> out of, so remember, they were going from slavery in Egypt into the promised land, and God rescued them, even parts of the Red Sea for them to walk across. And yes, they were wandering around the desert, but God loved them so much and says, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. I'm going to love you. And yet, through their unfaithfulness, through their doubts, they didn't trust God, and they built a golden calf, and they built an altar, a cultic idol. And the influences of the leaders during that time says, "Hey, look, let's gather over here and let's worship this idol." Not God, God is not with us, God is not for us, God has abandoned us, because remember they were complaining, they were saying, God, why did you bring us out to the wilderness? Did you bring us out here just to kill us? And God is saying, no, have faith, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to take you to the land filled with milk and honey, this promised land, and yet they didn't believe and they gathered everybody else, they said, hey, everybody, don't listen to that God, let's worship this idol, this golden calf that we've created. And Jude is like, hey, remember that? Remember, again, when there was false doctrine and bad influence that turned people away from God and to worship this idol. And, and then he says, oh, hey, remember the angels who did not keep their positions of authority? That's the next one. That's the next example that Jude gives. Uh, Jude is referring <clears throat> to Genesis chapter 6, uh, where uh, in, in also in Genesis chapter 6, there was a, uh, a Jewish writer who wrote a Jewish literature that was a kind of a spin-off of Genesis chapter 6 called Enoch. Uh, so it's an apocalyptic uh, literature, a very famous Jewish literature called Enoch. Uh, and Enoch is describing what was happening in Genesis chapter 6, the same thing that Jude is talking about. And the situation is this. Uh, before the flood, and this is in Genesis chapter 6, you can read that. Uh, before the flood, uh, God was describing that the angels... Who had authority and who had dominion? Uh, this is kind of strange. If you've never read this, uh, found some of the w- women on Earth attractive, uh, and so the 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 angels came to the Earth, the, the earthly realm, and had sexual relations uh, with the human, with the with the women, and, and, and out of those sexual relations, bared a child. So this child was part. Angel in part human. Uh, this is, man, if this is your first time at church, I'm so sorry. This is super strange. But, but I just have to tell you about this because in Jude, and he's using this as an example. Uh, and so uh, after the sexual relation, after the child was birthed, uh, those children uh, were known to be evildoers and again, uh, spread false doctrine amongst the religious people around that time. So that wasn't a good thing. As a matter of fact, it was so bad, it was so evil, God detested it so much that that was the final straw, pretty much, uh, that where God brought the flood on. That, immediately after that um, was the flood. So if you want to read more about that, that's Genesis chapter 6. Uh, or you can look up Enoch. Enoch is Jewish literature um, and something that they were really well familiar with when Jude was writing. So there's been, historically, there's been centuries of just, allowing bad influence and bad doctrine and, and bad visuals of what it looks like to be followers of God. And, and thirdly, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the other way around. I don't know if you guys, if you guys remember the story, but there was uh, men from the town who wanted to, again, now it's the other way around, have sexual relations with angels. Uh, And again, that's super strange, but Jude is using that as an example of what happens when we don't understand what the gospel is saying. Uh, There's a story that I just read, or not just read, but even when I was in college, of missionaries. uh, Of missionaries going into this tribe in Africa, I don't exactly remember which one. Uh, And they were converting people into Christianity, They're saying, here's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what you must do to have eternal life and and all these things. Uh, And after a couple years, they trained up pastors. They trained up uh, elders and deacons. And they built churches. After a few years, they left. They went back to the States, I believe. Uh, And they got, those same missionaries years later got this message saying the pastors and the elders, they were like killing people from the tribe, from the village. Uh, and, you know, the missionaries were thinking, you know, that couldn't be, they're they converting to Christianity. They understand that they can't, they can't do that. Uh, and so the missionaries came back and said, essentially, what, what's happening? Why is there so many murders? Why are there so many killings right now in this village? Uh, especially by you, you guys are Christians. You guys aren't supposed to be doing that. That's bad. Thou shall not kill. And, and the missionaries said, well, they wouldn't, these people wouldn't convert to Christianity. And so we killed them. And we tried. We tried, to, we tried to help them. We tried to, you know, convert them into the truth, the reality uh, uh, of the Bible, and they wouldn't do it. And so we just killed them. See, what happened was there was a lack of discipleship there. See, they knew for themselves, they, they call themselves Christians. But they didn't, quite under, they didn't quite get the point. They missed the point a bit. They didn't understand what it looked like to truly live out the message of the gospel. And, and so these missionaries, what they failed to do was, okay, yes, here's a sinner's prayer. God, come into my heart. Yes, you're a Christian now. But here's what that means. Your life will look different. You can't go back to your old ways. Because that was kind of part of their culture. You can't be doing that anymore. You have to represent what the Bible says uh, that reflects the beauty of God. And that's to love, and that's to be kind, and that's to be compassionate, that's to give radical forgiveness. See, oftentimes we're quick to say, yes, we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus. We're Christians. Do we live that out? I mean, do we really contend and fight for our faith? Say, yes, I truly believe that, and it believe it so much that it just oozes, it just seeps out of the way I love, the way I treat people, the way I even enter into a relationship with God, with my family, with my friends, with my enemies. I mean, sometimes that requires a fight. And are we doing that? How do we do that? Verse 20 to to 21, he says this. He says, uh, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Fight for your faith. What does faith look like? What does God want us to do? How does God want us to be? Right where you're at, not just here on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, at work, in your homes, amongst your social circles, amongst your friends. What does your faith look like? Is it building people up? Is it building yourself up? Is it building up your relationship with God? says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. God, how, I, how have I not been living the way that accurately, accurately reflects your loving kindness. I mean, that's a dangerous prayer because that's like holding a mirror up to our face uh, and God saying, here's the ways that you need to change, buddy. And I get that a lot. I get convicted a lot. It's a danger. God, how have I been offending you? How have I been rep- misrepresenting the gospel? How have I been representing your love, your, your, your word here? H- how? And I promise you, when we pray that dangerous prayer, the Holy Spirit will convict us. And and, and I know that uh, not just here, I'm guilty of this, uh, but as Bethany, if you guys know, we're one church in six locations. We're not great about talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. And again, as we said earlier, praying is not passive. Praying is very powerful, and we're powerfully, eagerly uh, urging the Holy Spirit to say to us, to convict our hearts, how do I represent my faith in a way that accurately reflects the beauty of Jesus? Build yourselves up. In the near most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. I really believe the message of God is so hopeful. The message uh, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection should compel us. Should, should compel us to give us no choice but to share the loving kindness, the beautiful message of Jesus with others, not just just with our words, not just here's the gospel, here's what Jesus did for us, but the way we live. I really do believe that the entirety of scripture, especially in the gospels, Jesus calls us to be witnesses, be witnesses for me. Judah, uh, Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, be my witness, tell the story of who I am. Because I really believe, and the word witness comes up over and over and over again. Be my witnesses. See, oftentimes, instead of being a witness for Jesus, we become lawyers. We become attorneys. We become judges for Jesus. And Jesus is never saying, I, I, he's, he never says, I want more, be a judge for me. Be, a, be an attorney for me. Be a lawyer for me. No, he says, be a witness. Like, if we use a court of law example, we don't need any more lords. We don't need any more judges for, for, to represent Jesus in, in the Christian faith. We need more witnesses with our lives, with the words that we use, with our generosity, with our hospitality, with our eagerness to forgive. That is what it looks like to accurately reflect the beauty of God. That's the, that's the message of the cross. And how do we do this? We do it with mercy. See, it's not just about us opening our eyes to how we've misrepresented Jesus and, and, and how our faith has misrepresented Jesus. And it's not just about us being convicted, but it's us being agents to help others see. Wait, well, wait a minute. To see this, to see, wait, wait a minute. That's not, that's not the Christian faith. This is. It's our responsibility to say, well, wait a minute, the hatred, the violence, the racism, the sex, whatever, no, 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 that, that that's not it. It's here. It's, it's the embracing, it's the loving, it's the compassion. That, that's the way of Jesus. We need to do that. I remember uh, we were just going to, um, oh, 4th of July. I shared the story right after that. But I was leaving Gasworks Park uh, with some friends, and there were people with banners uh, saying, I don't even want to repeat the words, but profanity, will go to hell if you don't repent. God hates all these profane words that I don't want to say. Turn of your ways, otherwise you will burn in hell. And all these banners and signs representing Jesus. And I remember people looking around, like being so confused, and, and people being really disgusted, and, and as I as I was too. And I remember just thinking, man, I wish I wish I could steal their megaphone and say, that's not it. That's not what it looks like to be a beautiful image of God. And yet, we should do that, metaphorically, not necessarily physically steal someone's megaphone, but we should, with our actions, with our words, point people to what it really looks like to follow Jesus, God of compassion, justice, reconciliation, healing. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be the real church. God is calling us to be the real church, be the real church. Remember last week, and I—I I don't know if Sarah is here. She's our family ministry director. Uh, I didn't tell her I was going to share this story, but I'll ask for forgiveness later. Uh, but we had a uh, interesting conversation, especially after Charlottesville, North uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, and, and it was a conversation that really exemplified what it looks like to point people to Christ with mercy. Because I remember we were sitting there. And we're talking about, man. You know what? As as believers, we, we are called to love even the most unlovable. That is true. That is the radical love that God calls us to, to do, to be. Uh, and, and for me, I I have a special connection. You know, I my heart goes out to the people that were affected, uh, not just in Charlottesville, Virginia, but even all throughout when it comes to racism. I've been, a, I've been a victim of racism. I've had racial slurs yelled at me before. I've been discriminated. I mean, I know what it feels like to be, to be judged and to be marginalized because of the color of my skin. Like, I know, and so I can empathize with people. And, and so when I hear about people saying, you know what, yes, there were white supremacists at uh, Charlottesville, we need to love them too. See, I don't want to hear that. And, and, and people would say, oh, you know, they were created by God and, and uh, you know, we need to quit being so divisive with good and bad. Uh, and, but I don't want to hear that, especially right now. And so we when I was talking with Sarah, I mean, she's so calm and collected and, and she, she's really wise. If you've never had a conversation with her, you, you should because you will learn something, I promise you. Uh, and she was challenging me. And, and believe me, she did not disagree that the, that the acts, that the movement, that the violence was all evil, that the message was evil. Believe me, she was angry just as much as I was. At the same time, she was saying, well, the message of Jesus is that even the people that are hardest to love, we must love. That because everyone was created in the image of God, that there's some goodness that everybody shares. And and I'm thinking, I'm really upset right now. Because, you know, it got a little bit heated. It got a little heated. Uh, But have you ever been in a conversation or a a debate that you get really upset, not because you disagreed with the person, but because you agreed? Like, that's exactly how I felt. Like, I got really defensive because she was Right? Uh, I didn't want to admit it at the time, uh, but she was right. I'm like, yes. And, and she was so kind and, and so, you know, by definition, so merciful and showing me, saying, look, this is the nature of Jesus. Jesus is radically loving, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. Man, that, was, that was mercy. And, and I thought about that throughout the week. And there was so much trust and so much safety. I thought, man, I, yeah, I really missed it. Now, believe me, again, I'll say this over and over again. Sarah, we we agree that what happened, especially in Charlottesville, especially all across when it comes to uh, racism, when it comes to all, all that, like that is wrong, like there's no doubt. And what does it look like to reflect the beauty of Jesus in the midst of that? And she did such a wonderful job of of doing verse 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And in verse 22, and have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy uh, on some who are wavering. Have mercy on those that just don't get it. Yes, it's easy for me to say those people with the banners, those people with the microphones, they're idiots. yeah. That's, that's the easy thing to do. But it takes strength. It takes a radical love that reflects Jesus to say, well, wait a minute. What's your story? What are you actually trying to say? I mean, and I don't want to even admit this, but at the end of the day, the person with the banner yelling profanities, we probably have something in common. I don't know what. I don't know what exactly. But we probably have something in common. What is that? And what drives us to express that message so extremely different? I don't know. Well, I don't know because I don't care to ask. But what if we see people especially in the church, because here, Judas talking to Christians. The people that are infiltrating with false doctrines, those were actually Christians that were doing it, not the heathens, not the Pelicans, not the people that worship false gods. It was actually the people in the church that was teaching false religion or false teaching. What would it look like for us to go to our other Christians, our other churchgoers, other followers of Jesus, and say, well, oh, man, I think we missed the mark here without being judgmental. See, there's a difference between being judgmental in making a judgment. So God calls us to make many judgments. Like, would you go into a dark alley at midnight? Probably not. That would be a good judgment call. Don't do that. If you went, that would be a bad judgment call. We're called to make judgments. We're not called to be judgmental. And so in the light of, being, uh, of making judgments, saying, hey, man, I, I think we missed that. I think you miss that. I think we miss that. Of course, in the context of relationship and trust. But Jude makes it clear with mercy. See, here's the big point of mercy. Mercy in the Greek word is elio. Comes from the Hebrew word um, hesed. And the original meaning in the Hebrew and in Greek means loving kindness, having uh, the, the most concern and welfare for others the best welfare for others. And so anytime we call somebody out, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, and I am too, I often want to call somebody out saying, well, you're wrong and I'm right. And I want them to know that I know that they're wrong and I'm right. That is not having loving kindness. That is not hesed. That is not elio. That is very selfish. As a matter of fact, what would it look like for us to say, look, you know what? I'm calling you out I'm challenging, I'm giving you fear, whatever you want to call it, because I love you. Because I have the best interest, I have welfare in mind and concern for you. I really think that should be kind of a, a filter by in which we actually have mercy and talk to people, whatever that conversation looks like, with mercy. I believe that's the filter that we should use. Am I, Am I doing this because... I love this person. Am I doing this because, uh, because I have the best interest in mind for this person? Or am I just trying to be judgmental and just call this person out? I don't know. The letter of Jude. I love it. I would encourage all of us to read it. it the primary message of Jude is, what does it look like for us to be the real church? I'm going to invite the band up right now to, to lead us into a time of, of response. But this is the way I want to end is uh, talking about Jude, talking about what Jude is writing. What does it look like for us to be the church? The, the church isn't just on a Sunday morning here between 9 and 10, 15. We are the church and we are to go outside the walls of this building and be the church in our community in our lives in our workplace in our schools in our cl- wherever it is and reflect the beautiful image of Jesus knowing that the life death and resurrection has is unique, has done something to us that compels us to live differently. And that is the message, the beautiful message of Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi, we all know what he said, or many of us do. He says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary. So maybe the prayer this morning, as we enter in a time of response is this, as God Have I been representing my faith in you in a way that others sees that as beautiful? When people look at my life, do they say, oh, there's something different. I want want what that person has. When people see you, they say, oh man, yeah, he claims or she claims to be a Christian, that's what it looks like, that's what I want. Maybe that's the prayer. And I already know for myself, oftentimes the answer is no. That's not the way I live. God, Holy Spirit, convict me. Change me. That's our prayer this morning. And so I just encourage, us. I'm going to pray for us. Um, You can pray, you can reflect, you can meditate for a minute or two or so. And when the band leads us into a worship, you're welcome to participate. God, thank you so much that you love us unconditionally, no matter how many mistakes that we make. There's nothing we can do that drives you away. But God, help us reflect that love, that unconditional, radical love you have for us into the world. So that they may see us as a testimony of who you are and want to be a part of that. Reveal to us for the ways that we failed you. And we have, I have. and compel us to live a different story, a different life. That's congruent to our understanding and our faith in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And help us extend that to others. In your name we pray.